On this week's episode, my guest is artist Livio Ramadelli, and we're talking about his first creator-owned project from IDW Comics. It's an original story called The Killock. We'll also discuss his work on Transformers Galaxies Constructicons Rising, and later I'll tell you about two holiday-themed Transformers podcasts I'm excited to be a part of. All of that and more right now on Mike Seibert Radio. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host, and I am thrilled to bring on this week's guest. Uh, Livio Ramadelli is the artist of Transformers Galaxies, Constructicons Rising. You can get that at your local comic shop now, wherever comics are sold. And today, we're going to be talking about The Kill Lock, his brand new creator-owned series from, from IDW Comics. I, uh, I have been excited to talk about these books and these projects for at least the last few months. In fact, you might even say I would have waited an eternity for this. Olivia <laughs> <laughs> Ramadelli, welcome to Mike Cybert Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to talk to you. Awesome. Now, I know you're getting packed up and getting ready to head out to Tokyo Comic Con, uh, but again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat for a few minutes. My pleasure. My pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this. Awesome. So, um, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on Constructicons Rising. I've I've read the first two issues now, and it's uh, it's everything that I think a lot of us G one fans were always hoping for, but we're never quite sure that we would ever get. So, um, uh, congratulations to uh, both you and uh, your writer uh, Tyler Blazinski. It's uh, it's, it's a really yeah. cool book. It's been, yeah, thank you. It's been a really, really fun project from the beginning. Like uh, Tyler, like it's kind of been his dream story to tell. He's a huge G1 Constructicons fan and, you know, these are his favorite characters and he really kind of meant the world to him to get to do this. So I think like the love he has for those characters is really in in that story. And I thought he wrote he wrote a really compelling kind of tragedy of the Constructicons. It's just been a blast to work on. Absolutely. And I, uh, I I remember a couple things. I mean, like one, uh, Tyler did a interview uh, with our good buddies from the Transmissions podcast a couple months ago uh, leading up to the first issue. And he had been pitching that story for upwards to like two years. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely something that's been a long time coming. And it definitely shows in that like it's it feels like it's a story that was um, aching to be told. I mean, obviously, we've we've had a couple few different origins of the Constructicons, but I think this is the one that kind of it kind of takes a little bit of the other established origins. And just I, I don't know, I just I, I really um, you said it best. I, I like it as framed as the tragedy of the Constructicons. Yeah, it's been a really personal story. Like you can see a lot of like when Tyler talks about it, a lot of his kind of personal attachment to these characters on mm-hmm. the page where, you know, he's had specific personalities for them carved out, you know, just based on the scraps we used to get when they were first introduced, you know, 
I think with a lot of early characters and we knew in our childhood, it's like mm -hmm. you assign them a lot of meaning without even getting it in the stories. You know, you kind of have a perception of who these people are. Yeah. And I think with Tyler, it really comes through. Same with the, the Insecticons. He had some really cool concepts for them as well. Yeah, I mean, you you guys did something that hasn't been done for, you know, in, in any time I can remember. You made the uh, the Insecticons scary. Good, good. We That was our goal, was to make them as creepy and disturbing as we could. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, like, they, they've always had, like, a little bit of creep factor, like, especially, like, with uh, um, Shrapnel and, you know, like, the, the double speak and just kind of, like, their, their kind of, kind of, sort of gross parasitic nature. But, man, in Galaxies number two, it, it, it you, you get what, um, you know, they, they kind of, they earned their reputation and their name as being Insecticons for sure. Good, good. Yeah, I can tell you, too, that um, they return in issue four, and there's definitely some more equally disturbing stuff with them coming. Nice. Can't wait so, for yeah. that. So um, so I want to wind back the, the hands of time just a little bit to earlier this summer. Um, uh, you and I had the opportunity to chat along with uh, uh, several of our other friends, like I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Charles and Daryl from the uh, Transmissions podcast and a, a few other fans as well. Uh, you know, we, we got to hang out at uh, TFCon Toronto kind of after hours in the bar there. And, and, yeah. it, and incidentally... Um, what, what a cool scene. What a, what an awesome night that ended up being because like, you know, the, the show floor is always amazing, but like I, I had never been to TFCon Toronto before, so I hadn't oh. had the opportunity to do like the full karaoke night party thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like you got like, you know, hot rod and RC from, uh, from the Cybertronic spree rolling in. You got, uh, you get, you got Vangelis cutting it up, uh, doing, uh, doing Lady Gaga. It was just, it was, it was crazy, but I, I remember there was a time where all of us were talking and you were sharing some of the uh, early impressions of Constructicons Rising. And I think if I remember correctly, like the book had just been announced uh, back in July. I don't remember if preview art had been released or not, but uh, what, it, what I remember specifically is just how beaming you were about uh about this book and about the story a lot of things that we just said but one thing in particular and i was really looking forward to this when i finally got around to reading the first issue for myself um you you talked about uh the um a couple sequences where the constructicons get to do things in ways that we have had never seen before like you had mentioned a time where hook uses his crane arm to lift up a part of a building and I, I I remember when I read that in the finished comic, I'm like, oh, this is what he swore me to secrecy about. Oh, my gosh. Because because <laughs> yeah. like you, you were really forthcoming about uh, like a lot of your feelings with regards to uh, that book and that story and the collaboration with Tyler. But it was like it was like every every sentence was punctuated. But but keep that to yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, oh, for sure. No. And, and thank you for for all of you for, for keeping it quiet. Yeah. The, um. It's funny, the Transformers conventions in general, the bar scene is sort of the most fun experience sometimes where it's it really like is. the organizers and the fans are all hanging out together and we, we really get to know each other. And it's it's really a blast. You know, a lot of other comic cons, once the con ends, you sort of disperse into the city and you go separate ways. But mm -hmm. Transformers conventions, the sense of community afterwards when things end, and you're all still kind of in the same hotels is, is really fun. And and yeah, the, the Constructicon stuff, like I remember being really excited. I said at the time that you know, when we first get introduced to the combiner that will become Devastator, mm -hmm. that it's this engine for kind of benevolent construction, which yeah. I always love this notion of 
this really destructive force we've known, just really peacefully putting a city together. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was a really cool visual and it's been very fun to draw. I, I love that. And, and again, it was just a beautiful sequence, you know, oh, cool. again, just, just to see hook with his, uh, with his crane arm again, it, it's, it's the most simplest, subtle thing, but to yeah. see the Constructicons doing something that really it's in the name. I mean, it's really kind of, if you, if you think about it for too long, um, the Constructicons are really kind of like um, uh, you wouldn't think of them as being Decepticons and bad guys. They're kind of like no. unexpected bad guys because they're construction vehicles. They're yeah. you know they're 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 wheeled vehicles yeah. as a, as opposed to military hardware, which is pretty much all of all of the other Decepticons. But yeah, yeah. it just it was yeah it was just, it was just I I, I really appreciate the. Uh, just the nuance and beauty that that you uh, imbued in the in those characters. Oh, good. No, thank you so much. Yeah, I, that was really fun for us because I think I, we totally agree that you know when you when you know them from the G one context, you know you know the green and purple of them immediately sort of signifies our oh, Decepticons, the red mm-hmm. eyes. But when you really think of their vehicle form, you know it's it's not cannons or guns. It's construction. You know, it's yeah. shovels and cranes. It's like you know it's it's meant to just be you know a much more sort of benevolent benevolent design that kind of went went awry awesome yeah very cool so um so remind me so the uh uh transformers galaxies constructicons rising that's a four issue series yeah so the construction arc is four issues and then it'll be a new creative team after that so the the series galaxies in general is an anthology so Mm -hmm. every few issues it'll be new creative team new spotlight new characters which which i love like i'm a big fan of the spotlight miniseries Mm -hmm. or the one shots they do so I think we've all been wanting to do like an anthology series for a while now. Yeah, and this uh this series was a return to the IDW Transformers for uh for you. You had uh you had kind of been away from uh from the characters for a little bit. Yeah, I think quite a few of us cuz when when they rebooted the, you know, the the entire franchise's IDW, it was an opportunity for new new voices to come in. And so many of us who had done the the former run, we had done such a long run on it, you know, that we were, we, there's other stuff that, you know, just in general, we want to work on and kill lock is one of those things that I had been working on over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but it was, it was really fun to come back. I mean, one thing I really look for when I say yes to doing a story is the, the idea that it could be read as a trade without really, you don't need to know anything else connected to it. You know, yeah. like this fits into the greater continuity of the current IDW series, but I like that if you only read these first four issues, you're going to get a pretty compelling Constructicon story. And I, and I like that a lot. Very cool. Now, yeah. uh, before uh, before we get into the Killock, because I I'm really excited to hear about the story. I've been really digging on the uh, the snippets and the preview art and just uh, the hints and mystery um, uh, that's surrounding the series. I I love that it's just something just brand new whole cloth. Thank um, you. But before before we get into that, I I kind of want to tell the um, I want to tell a couple stories, and you know most sure. of my listeners know that I I like to tell stories and sometimes they're lengthy and this is kind of one of them i i um i kind of want to talk about uh my history with your art and like i i've been a fan of yours uh for i and and prepare to feel a little bit older i i went back and looked through some of my emerald city comic-con uh, monsters and dames books and the first time i encountered your art was in 2010 in 2010, oh. oh my gosh, almost 10 years ago. Oh my and, god! 
Yeah, I, I know, right? And I, I remember this uh, very vividly because, like, one of my uh, and and just to catch folks up very briefly and quickly, uh, the Monsters and Dames art book is a charity art book that the organizers of Emerald City Comic Con put together, where they invite the uh, uh, the artists from Artist Alley to uh, submit a piece uh, fitting either the uh, monsters or and or dames type uh, type motif. It was originally kind of conceived as almost kind of like like a um, I, I don't want to say cheesecake pinup, but that's that's not quite the spirit they were going for. But um, but anyway, it's it's a it's a themed art book that artists contribute and the proceeds of the sale of the book and I believe the uh, uh, charity auction of the original art all goes to uh, benefit Seattle Children's Hospital here in Seattle. So it's uh, um, great. Yeah. It, it's great. And what I and what I've learned from um, participating in it, like buying the book and getting it autographed by all the creators, is that like this is a pretty unique project for our specific Comic Con. Not a lot of shows like they'll they'll do art books, but they aren't necessarily themed. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't always have like the the charity angle to it. So it's 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 just a win win win. And the thing that I've been telling uh, my listeners and fans for years, as long as I can remember, even before I started podcasting, was like um, getting that book is a it, it's it's um, it creates a scavenger hunt to where you have to go around the entire show floor to meet all of these creators and you know collect autographs and meet and and hopefully buy something from the table or at least get something on your radar that's new my yep. po- my point to all this is um that's where i first encountered your art you had contributed a piece in uh the book that year and incidentally not everybody gets in and not everybody gets in every year it's uh as the years have gone by and the popularity has increased it's a it's a tough book to get into now. It's almost it uh, is, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 actually something ironically. Like I'm glad you brought it up. I I look forward to Monsters and Dames every year. I think it's a it's a really fantastic book. It's really fun to be part of. It benefits a great cause. And then also every year, you know, the theme is you sort of like you sort of uh, you have to focus on the same thing of like a monster and a dame. But it's yeah. harder each year to come up with a new idea. You know, I think I've gotten in six times or something. And every year you're like you look forward to. It, you're like, oh my god, I need new a new good idea this year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I I remember uh, coming across your table, not not knowing what to expect. I mean, because like you're I I, I, I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember what that uh, piece was that year, Uh, but it was uh, it was something that was decidedly not Transformers. And I come across your table and I see a few of your prints. uh, there was a a Soundwave one and an Optimus Prime one, and I was blown away because I hadn't seen. And this was really kind of like you know, kind of like in the early era of you know Transformers fan art. I hadn't seen dark, evocative, moody. Uh, grim Transformers art before like you know like you know you've got like the red skies and a lot of the imagery that really kind of reminded me of aspects of the movie that uh, that I really liked so much and it really kind of um, reminded me of that so and and you had a Boba Fett print as well and I'm I'm a sucker for the Fett so um, (laughs) so I just I just remember um, you know just being so uh, blown away and taken with your art um and i i remember thinking it's like well 
because I, I think the IDW series had started already. Like, you know, they, they I think it was like in the beginnings of the, like the Simon Furman run and, you know, uh, you know, like uh, uh, devastation and escalation and uh, infiltration and all of that. Um, but I, I remember thinking it's like, well, this kind of art is something that I'd really like to see in a Transformers comic book, but ah, it, it would never happen. You know, it's it's just, it's too dark, it's too scary, you know, it's too, it's it's just so moody, it would just, it would just never work. And I remember it was like, maybe like a year and a half later, um, and I, you know, was picking up the regular uh, Transformers series, it was the, it was the Mike Costa run, if I remember correctly, and yeah. I, I saw one of your covers, and I was like, wait a second <laughs> and then like the next issue came out and uh there was a there was a cover that was um a a similar version of the optimus prime thing where it's like you know it, it's the cracked chest and the and the matrix energy spilling out and i was like Oh my God! This is the guy, and I just—I just remember being just so very excited. And and when I started seeing your stuff pop up in interiors, and later on when we're going to the Dead Universe, and it's just like, yes, this—this this is what I wanted. So, um, oh, cool. I. I I apologize yeah. for fawning so much and fangirling so much, but I've uh, I have been a fan of your art for a really long time. And oh I'm, no, thank I'm you really so much. It's, it's it's funny that yeah, the the first Monsters and Dames piece I did, yeah, it predated me working on Transformers. Mm-hmm. At that point, I hadn't even done anything for IDW. So yeah, so that yeah, that's that's funny. That's a long time back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you had a bunch of Star Wars stuff too. You know, I what like, yeah. a lot of pieces that have kind of uh, become some of your more famous ones. Like I think it was like like uh, you had the Vader on Hoth and yeah. uh, and some of the others as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean you've uh, you know been uh, quite prolific, and I, and I was again, I just I I love having that feeling of um, seeing somebody's art that I like. Um, you know, getting more mainstream attention, and and oh, again, and again, congratulations! It, it's oh, it's thank so you. Cool. No, that really that really means a lot. That's one thing I I really appreciate is it's always nice to hear the good the good feedback and stuff. But it's also like the people that were buying prints from me before I had any kind of professional credits to my name and getting commissions back in the day. It's it's rewarding for me that like that they believed in me back then. You know, mm-hmm. so it's yeah, it really really means a lot. So thank you so much for for liking it. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so uh, so now with that out of the way, I just kind of want to, uh, I guess, establish my fan creds because okay. once I heard that you were launching your own uh, uh, creative series, uh, creator-owned series, and that was the other thing that you shared with me, just almost kind of over your shoulder at at TFCon Toronto. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, Constructicons rising. You know, uh, they're they're benevolent and it's heartbreaking. Oh, by the way, I've got a creator-owned book coming out. Don't tell anybody about that either. And yeah. <laughs> and I remember just like trolling like solicitations, just like waiting to see. And like I couldn't stumble over myself quick enough um, to kind of get in line to you know see if I can get you on the show and see if we could talk about the Kill Lock and uh, encourage folks to uh, pick it up and and definitely give you a platform to talk about it. So that being said. Let's talk about the kill lock. What uh, yeah. what is it? Well, th- yeah, thank you so much for the interest. Uh, so yeah, it's the, it's definitely been a passion project for mine for the last couple of years. You know, I worked on it. I think I began three, maybe four years ago on it on this story that I was working around my other Transformers work, my other paid gigs. Because mm-hmm. a lot of time when you do like a creator own thing, you know, 
you're really putting in a lot of love and sweat for, for no money. So it tends to take a while, you know, and you hope one day that it will get greenlit by a company, that it will find an audience. So I can say just the experience of making it has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever worked on. Like, it's just been fantastic. Like just completing the work was amazing. It felt great. And knowing like that IDW was willing to take a chance and greenlight it, that they liked it, mm-hmm. that felt great. Because even though, you know, we have an existing relationship, there's plenty of books from existing creators at IDW that don't get greenlit. You know, they just, they, they really view the material on its own. So getting a green light from IDW really felt good. And it felt like that they, they believed in it. And, um, I can tell you the basic premise if you want to start there. Or yeah, what, please. What would you like to know? Yeah, you want yeah, that? Yeah, okay. yeah, let's start with that. Okay, yeah. So I was interested in this concept of characters from different parts of society that would never normally mingle suddenly being forced to really protect each other. And so I had this notion of a, an all-robot world where you had different classes. So you had like your engineer class, which are the super affluent, super intelligent, mm-hmm. sophisticated robots. Then you have your labor class, which are like the more simple jobs, the rough, the harder work. So there'd be a natural kind of prejudice and rivalry that those characters would kind of resent each other for different reasons. You would have your sort of unfinished like kid class, like the robots that are still all coming off the assembly line. And they're still figuring out if they're going to if they're going to work, what their eventual job is going to be. Then you have like your soldier class, which are these like ass kicking elite warriors that go to the depths of space and take care of the real hardcore war out there. And I wanted all those characters that would never normally be in a room together to suddenly have to care about each other and protect each other. Mm -hmm. So the kill lock refers to, in this society, a specific form of punishment, which is sort of a death penalty, where if you've committed a crime, your program is linked so that if one of you dies, you all die. So now you have, you know, this like real ass kicking army robot from deep space having to protect, you know, an alcoholic laborer and a really stuck up engineer and then a completely innocent kid and it's kind of the four of them navigating the galaxy to find hopefully a cure where they can unlock from one another and get their their lives back basically wow that's that's really cool it almost has kind of like a uh deadlock feel to it you know like uh yeah. like like the what? old uh Rucker Hauer movie oh nice i haven't i haven't seen deadlock but i love Rucker Hauer from blade mm-hmm. runner so <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's very similar except that it's like physical collars you know, oh, okay. so so like they're they're prisoners, and if they you know if, if they get too far apart, uh, they heads explode. Um, oh, okay, yeah, not, exactly. yeah, yeah, not unlike the same technology they have in the uh, the Running Man, where oh, Arnold yeah. and his friends, you know, if you go beyond the uh, on the wall, but but that's not the Kill Lock at all. So no, no. <laughs> I wanted to get across this idea too, yeah. and it comes through in the series that you know your Kill Lock sort of an invisible link. You know, yeah. you're not you don't really suffer pain if one of you gets hurt. You don't suffer that. But if one of you chooses just to go live three moons away and something bad happens to them or they get killed, you will die. So even though you're not in the same room with the person, if they encounter something bad, you're going to get killed. So it's sort of living with this dread of like, I have to keep an eye on these people that I don't like basically forever. So that's fascinating. That that's really cool. And and that sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and that that makes it more intimate in that, you know, you're you're invested in and you can't actually control where folks go, because I'm sure with that mix of characters, you've got disagreements, you've got dysfunction and yeah. probably uh, a person or two storming off in a huff from time to time. So it's it, it's yeah, it really becomes kind of like the, this weird, deadly, dysfunctional family. Yeah, like my my reasoning for making it four characters as opposed to three or two mm-hmm. is that, you know, if 
if two of you, maybe even three of you had this sort of link, I thought there's a chance you could make it work. You know, if like, you know, two people in a bad marriage, you can tough it out for decades, Mm -hmm. potentially. But if there's four of you, it really seems like over time, eventually one person at least will kind of erode and wear away. And that sort of dooms the the group. So, yes, that's the that's the basic premise. And I was also fascinated by the idea, like one reason that they're robot characters as opposed to humans is science fiction's always been this great metaphor for talking about real world problems with yeah. just enough distance that it doesn't become so obvious. So the notion of like a really kind of like the engineer character is this sort of psychopathic murderer that's been hiding his true nature because he's really intelligent. He's really good at his job and his, you know, his, he holds the status in society of this very affluent nature, but he's been hiding these sort of psychopathic tendencies. But the idea of that character suddenly dealing with an innocent kid, that's like fresh off the assembly line. Mm -hmm. I felt like that's more entertaining if you can, step back a bit and make it science fiction because if that's a human murderer and a kid it gets into this weird territory i didn't want to get into because i wanted this thing to feel kind of like an r-rated pixar movie a little bit okay. like i wanted to yeah kind of feel like how you, people can invest in like you know cars and monsters and robots and and still invest those same human qualities but there's just enough of a difference to make it not uncomfortable I got you. Now, um, I'd like to talk about the designs a little bit also, because like, you know, uh, for folks that may not have seen the uh, preview art, which you've been uh, putting that all over uh, your social medias on on Facebook and Twitter and and Instagram and wherever else it's it's all over the place. Uh, But uh, when folks listening hear robots and, you know, they they heard us talk quite a bit about Transformers, the thing that that I find so striking about the characters in the kill lock is while they are robots, they are certainly not transformers. Uh, could you uh, speak on that some? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely my goal. One, to break it out of the transformers mold completely. I really wanted it to be a different standalone story. And it was also, uh, it was important to me that the characters look different than how you sort of think of a robot in general. Like I wanted them to appear simpler, you know? like really different shapes from one another almost because they are four different class of individual mm-hmm. that they really look unique from one. And so even the concept of robots, a lot of them, you know, the engineer character who's called the artisan, he's probably the most robotic looking in nature and the kid, the unfinished kind of kid character has exposed wiring, but the other two really look hopefully different. You know, I wanted them to sort of feel like a different, like more like y- humanish characters rather than mm-hmm. robots, you know? I gotcha. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So, um, so the first issue comes out in December and I believe the second issue comes out a week or so later. Um, you know, we, we were kind of talking offline a little bit how, um, IDW can sometimes uh, surprise us with their, with their (laughs) shipping schedule. Um, but, um, how, uh, how long of a series is it? So it's, it's six issues. Uh, it's, it's meant to function as a self-contained story from start to finish, but if people like it and they respond to it, I would I would love to do more. I have an idea what the what the next one would be. Mm-hmm. But I can also tease as like first time I'm revealing that thankfully like I've gotten to know a lot of really great artists through Transformers. So the Killlock is going to have pinup art from a lot of the Transformers people that you know about. So Andrew Griffith, K Zama, Casey, uh, Sarah. There's Qu- Brendan Cahill. There's oh a lot gosh. of people who've already contributed art that's finished that's going to run as pinups. Oh, that's exciting, and that's uh, that's definitely a motivation to uh, get the individual issues, the floppies, as the as they come out. That's that's rad. 
Yeah, they're and I, I've seen the art and it's it's stunning. The guy, the people really like. I, I owe them all so much. They really put a lot of work into it, and like just really thankful to know such such amazing artists. Very cool. Um, so we uh, we talked about the Kill Lock. That's uh, that is now. Is this your first creator owned project? Yeah, first time ever. Yeah. Wow, that's the, again congratulations. That is so thank, cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, I think like a lot of us who grew up reading comics, we we sort of wrote or we drew our own ideas and scribbled away at stuff. But um, getting to finish something at this level and using all the like sort of storytelling experience and knowledge that I've been reading and studying for years to to make something has been just like really rewarding. Again, I really it's really been a blast, and I, I hope people like it. Awesome. Very, very cool. And, you know, you hit on a couple things uh, that I kind of wanted to uh, go back to a little bit. I'm a, you know, being a comic book fan, I am a sucker for uh, origin stories. So Uh I was wondering, uh, could you talk a a little bit about um, your art style, your influences, and kind of what the uh, origins of Livio Ramadelli colon artist are? Sure. Yeah, I think like, um, so I grew up a lot of the comics I was into growing up. It's different than how I think my work is. But it like I was a big X-Men like Jim Lee fan. Mm -hmm. I loved Todd McFarlane and um, Eric Larson on Spider-Man. Star Wars, of course, like every kid in the world. Um, Over time, it sort of evolved. You know, there was a time I thought I was only going to draw black and white like hopefully become a penciler. But I think I, I got so interested in movie making and Ridley Scott and David Fincher and the way they light scenes and atmosphere that my interest in that really took over. And that's when I really realized I wanted to sort of color color my own work. Um, I was lucky enough to go to an art school called the Academy of Art in San Francisco where I studied concept art. So I had, it was a really great experience. I had teachers at that school that would be working at like Lucasfilm or Pixar during the day and they would come home or they'd come back to school and they teach us that night. We would do night classes. So, you know, they would be like, here's what we worked on a Wally during the day. It was amazing. So you're really learning from these amazing artists really currently doing it, you know, not just retired, but, you know, day-to-day skills. So I think that's why my art took on kind of a concept art feel to it. And then um, after that, ironically, I thought like freelancing would be a riskier proposition. So I was looking for kind of an in-house job, like as a concept artist for a video game company or movie company. Uh, I was very fortunate that I checked um, Wildstorm, Jim Lee's company. Mm-hmm. They had a, a blog posting, or they had a blog about artists. They would just show in-house artists posting things. And they had a job posting to work on the DC Universe Online game. So uh, I applied to that really randomly because I had been checking that site as a fan. Nothing to do with looking for work. I just sure. loved the art. And like, uh, I got hired. So my first job was working there, and Jim Lee was my first boss. So I was incredibly thankful because he was a hero of mine growing yeah. up. Just you know, really amazing. I learned so much there. And then that, you know, I moved to San Diego. I became involved with IDW. I started going to comic conventions because of that. So it really, I was very thankful, very lucky. That's really cool. Um, so, um, one of the, one of the things that, it, that you mentioned is that your art is very concept art influenced and like, you know, I see it in your prints. It's like, it, it just, it's just dripping with uh, lighting and mood and, um, so, so I guess the next thing I wanted to ask is kind of, uh, could you talk about your specific process a little bit? Because I think even in the time that I've known you, it's kind of changed and evolved a little bit in terms of like, uh, uh, some of the computer aided tools and some of the hand drawn stuff. Um, could you get into the weeds a little bit and kind of, uh, talk about your process? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a natural, like it, it sort of evolves with life of its own, you know, like I think if you look at, if you look at most artists that have been working for 10 years or whatever, you see a 
definite shift. I don't think anyone draws the same exact way now that they did when they started, you know? So I think you, you take on different, different influences, you take on different tricks. Like I think for me, like I like balancing the atmosphere with brightness. Cause you learn things too. Like you learn like, mm-hmm. Oh, I did this painting earlier when it printed, it printed really dark. So then, you know, to, you know, adjust for that. So you'll use lighter colors and cleaner compositions. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's less kind of, intentional than i think it seems it's just kind of over time there's a natural like evolution to it mm-hmm. but but yeah that's 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 the basic idea is that you're always trying to get better and you know like like i i think like a lot of a lot of the influences that i love like um ridley scott or the original star wars films it's like you know you look back at them every couple of years and you see more and more artistry on display things that you didn't have enough experience to notice before and now you can look back and you're like oh my god that that level of detail was in there or that that choice was in there, and I didn't see it at the time. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think like you're you're constantly sort of taking on new new appreciation, new influences. Yeah, and you know, I, I it's it's a small thing, but I, I one of the things I, I was just rereading uh, the first two issues of Constructicons Rising today is you know. Um, all of the characters except for Mixmaster have visors, and yeah. and the uh, your bold lighting choice just really sings in the way those characters are. And I am still blown away by how much emotion you can convey uh, with characters that really have no faces. Like there was a, there was an issue where you had Soundwave and Shockwave <laughs> uh, facing <laughs> off. Neither one of these people have faces but yet you can see that conveyance of emotion. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. No, I love that. I actually prefer the ca- the characters that don't have traditional faces. Like I think, I think Soundwave and Shockwave and Optimus Prime are three of my favorites to draw because you can do so much with their eyes. Even, even Shockwave, just mm-hmm. by tilting his head, you know, you can come across, with, come, convey so much emotion that I really, I really enjoy that, you know? So it's been, it's been cool on galaxies where, scrapper and you know like has has the same basic face that like Soundwave does mm-hmm. and you know over four issues you kind of show his mood just by tilting the camera here and there and that's one of my favorite things to do actually that's neat i i love it now yeah, um so you uh you had a lengthy run in transformers comics um the uh the next thing i want to talk about and it, it's I, I'm not going to labor on it too terribly long because there's a whole documentary on the DVD and Blu-ray, but I I couldn't not have a conversation with you about your cover art for the uh, Shout Factory release of Transformers the movie. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it's. So, uh, as folks might know on the internet, I, um, I have a lot of affection and affinity for Transformers the movie. In fact, aside from my Transformers fandom, it is my favorite movie. I, nice. I, I love it. I, I watch it uh, at least once a year, sometimes more. And actually, now that I've been more active in the Transformers fandom, it seems more than that. Uh, but I was wondering if, uh, if you wanted to talk for a couple minutes about, um, about that project. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like similar to you, like that movie meant so much to me growing up that, like, uh, my, my mom would rent the VHS copy. You know, mm-hmm. that's how old I am now. But like, um, would re-rent the same. We live in a small town in Ohio. Like, there, there was one copy of that movie. VHS in our local like blockbuster video so she'd re-rent that like every few weeks and we'd, we'd show up plenty of times and it wasn't in stock that's how which is insane like that's such an insane thing to say because right. now it's like any parent you could just rent it every night anytime you wanted or buy it online you know yep. but back then you had to go to a physical store and I remember 
it, like that movie just I watched watched it so many times. I later I bought it, you know, when I was in college on DVD. And then when the opportunity came to do the cover, it was it was amazing. It was Shout Factory and Brian Ward, producer, came to me and asked me if I wanted to do the cover, and it was it was it was really like beyond amazing because it was like that that movie meant so much to me. I never thought I would get to do anything with the characters professionally, let alone do the cover to something that that meant so much to me. So I remember when the cover came out, I had friends that I hadn't talked to since I was like ten years old mm-hmm. messaging me on Facebook and stuff, and just you know congratulating me because we watched that movie as like ten year olds together. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a really yeah, it was a really special experience. Yeah, no, I, I I love it, and and again, just in terms of like you know uh, fangirling, like I, I remember I went to the Fathom event screening uh, last year, oh, and nice. and just to see your art literally on the big screen, I was just like that. This is it's 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 just really cool. Just oh, really nice, cool. thank you, thank you. It was it meant so much to me. Like I've had I've had quite a few experiences on Transformers. Like they, Transformers, I think, opens a lot of doors in the sense mm-hmm. that. I, I don't I haven't worked on Spider-Man or Batman, but my sense is that there's something about the Transformers community that you get experiences that you might not get on other things. You know, like I've gotten to meet Peter Collin. I've gotten to meet Frank Welker. I friends with Flint Dilly now. Um, it's like those. I never thought any of that would happen. And like there's a real kind of community sense to Transformers and continues to be like when I, I'm lucky enough to go to other countries and the kind of the love from the fan community. It's when I was interested in Transformers and like loving it growing up, I didn't know a lot of people that were into it. I lived in a small town. And so now all these years later, you get to meet not just the people that worked on it on G1, but you get to meet people around the world, these new fans that are interested in it. And it's, it's been a really amazing, like we were talking about the Toronto TFCon bar. It's like yeah. people celebrating this fandom from all sorts of different countries and ages. It's, it's really fantastic. Yeah, I again that I love that vibe, and there's a there's a few times where you know even like during the day it'd be like oh yeah there's a there's a Transformers convention happening maybe we should go do that for a few you know because <laughs> people are just visiting and socializing and catching up and you yeah. know I mean having friends from literally all over the country all over the world yeah. and it's just yeah I mean because uh, you know we were talking about Emerald City Comic Con um, you know quite a bit and it's my home show you know I live here so basically I go to the it's an amazing show, by the way. Emerald City Comic Con is fantastic. It, it's yeah. great. It's great. But one yeah. thing that I don't necessarily get to enjoy in is kind of like that scene because I just go home. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's I. it wasn't until I started going to specific Transformers conventions that I kind of had like that that true sense of community where it's it it's fans it's creators it's you know people dressed up as robots and you know i mean it's it's just everything all thrown together and uh, there there's no fandom like it i love it it's it's really fantastic like i feel like i've talked to creators of friends of mine who work on you know x-men spider-man all that stuff there's not really those focus conventions when you go uh, overseas you know yeah. you don't really have a specific spider-man convention or a batman convention transformers like there's these conventions popping up all over the world now and the community there is just it's so amazing like mm-hmm. i've i've gone to the middle east and met really good transformers fans like out of the out of the woodwork there it's it's amazing like it, it really is a great community of people so let me ask you this then what huh? what is it about transformers that uh creates that type of community I, I wonder about that a lot. I think it might be that there's so many different entry points for fans. You know, like I think like, you know, in the 80s, if you're a kid of the 80s, 
you had the G1 cartoon and the movie. If you are a little bit older, you have Beast Wars. If you're a little bit older, you have animated, you know, mm-hmm. then you have, of course, the Michael Bay movies. Then you have just the toys by themselves. I think then the IDW comics, like there's tons mm-hmm. of fans I met who only know Transformers from the IDW comics. They don't mm-hmm. watch the Bay movies. They don't know the cartoon. They just like the current comics. So I think, you know, if something like Spider-Man or X-Men, you know, you have essentially the comics, a cartoon, the mm-hmm. live action movies. But I don't think you quite have this generational sort of thing, you know, like it, it, that that might be what it is on Transformers. I, I, I don't know, honestly. Like, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you think it is? Well, I, I think it's a lot of that. And then I would also say it's the diversity and inclusion. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I've mentioned this in several other podcasts, but one of my favorite things of being part of Transformers fandom is being around fans that look nothing like me. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you know, older, younger, different orientations, you know, and and we're all just here for the love of uh, transforming war robots from space. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's fantastic. And like I talk about that with with the other creators that I know where, you know, the older ones that I know, like my, my age, like yeah. when we grew up on it, it was really kind of this, you know, war story, this hardcore robots beating each other up. But it's it's shifted so much where a lot of the younger fans now, the war aspect is less important than the kind of interpersonal character dynamics and the quieter relationships. And that's been, Mm -hmm. that's been fascinating to watch that, that change. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. So we are, we are talking to Livio Ramadelli. He is the artist of Transformers Galaxies Constructicons Rising. Uh, You can get that wherever you get your comic books. And then coming up later in December, his first creator-owned project, The Kill Lock. And uh, you're doing everything on The Kill Lock, right? Yeah, the only thing I didn't do is uh, Tom Long, who's an awesome letterer. He did all We've worked together on Transformers for years. He did the lettering and came up with logo design. He's been he's been the kind of quiet collaborator. Also, like not spilling a word about this for like three years now, which has been great. That's... So, yeah. And then and then David Marriott, once it got greenlit by IDW, David Marriott, who edits Transformers, he's editing Killlock. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And folks can look for that later in December and beyond. Um, before, uh, before, as we get ready to close out, I have a, a couple of questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we part ways for now. Uh, some of my previous guests have uh, affectionately called these job interview questions, but <laughs> okay. I, I enjoy uh, the the results that we get. So it's a uh, it's kind of like a a, a three legged stool. Uh, first. Okay. Um, I would like to ask about uh, challenges you've encountered as an artist, what your ultimate direction is, uh, a.k.a. what's the dream, and then finally to round that out, uh, what advice you would have for folks uh, that are uh, looking to pursue their own creative endeavors. So let's uh, let's start with uh, challenges. What, what kind of challenges have you faced as an artist and how have you overcome them? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think like, one thing that I haven't experienced that I know some people have is there's a sense of isolation when you're an artist because you're spending your days, you know, quietly in a room drawing for hours and hours with not a lot of human contact. Generally, if you're a freelancer, you're sort of not in an office for the most part. Yeah. But but that really has kind of agreed with me. Like, I, I really love, you know, waking up. I you know I can put on a documentary or movies and draw all day long. Like, that's that's sort of the dream job I hoped I would have as a kid. So that was that was one thing that wasn't a problem. Like, I think, like, I mean, you always are like working to get better and practicing. That's sort of the sure. challenge that every artist has every day is that like you want things to be as good as they can be. And eventually, like 
almost everything you work on, you just have to let it go at some point, you know, like you would always keep tinkering with almost everything, everything if you could. I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge is you're sort of at war with yourself all the time. Um, uh, next one, next question was which one? Uh, what's the ultimate direction, AKA what's the dream? What's, what is Livio Ramadelli's dream? Hmm. I mean, I think getting to the kill walk has been a step in that direction of, Mm -hmm. I've really been interested in doing more original creator own projects. Like it's been, it's been so rewarding to like tell a story start to finish where you don't really have to run it by or coordinate with anything. You really just get to focus on, on creating something and creating characters and watching them come, come to life. I really enjoyed that. So I, I definitely want to do more of that. Like I have some projects in the works with other, with other creators that we would, we would own the property and stuff that, that that's kind of the, the direction I want in the future. Very cool. Now would, and kind of a side tangent from, uh, uh, from the questions a bit. Um, do you find it, um, more difficult, uh, trying to establish a new type of character, a new type of story, um, having spent so much time working on established IP like like Transform? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, I, It's my first time doing it, really, with the Kill Walk, so I, I honestly don't know. It's been so new to me, the idea of you know teasing out images. It's, mm-hmm. it's a brand new property that no one's seen before. So there's that question of, like, you don't want to spam people too much, but you also want to make them aware. And I think... I want the, especially the experience of reading the first issue to be preserved. So I don't want to spoil too much. I think once the first issue comes out, I'll reveal a lot more, but like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that the good and bad thing about the current landscape of creating content is there's 10,000 things out there all day long, new things getting released, you know? So the ease of being able to upload something to comiXology or YouTube or whatever is it's easier than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. But the downside is there is so much content. So standing out in any way is, is tricky, you know? So you just, I think you hope that you, you really believe in your story and Mm -hmm. it will find its audience if it's meant to. And, uh, just to go from there. I mean, I think like for, for a lot of the young people out there, like it's a golden age in terms of being able to release your own ideas. Like Mm -hmm. when I, God, when I was a kid, like there was nothing like the internet, like you could, the idea of just, drawing a comic and putting it up on comiXology and strangers could buy it. That yeah. was, it just did not exist. It's an amazing time. If you can cope with all the, all the competition. Absolutely. And it's interesting because like the, the walls are becoming increasingly lower and easier to overcome for all kinds of creatives. Like, you know, I, I do a podcast. Uh, several of my friends do podcasts, uh, you yeah. know, independent musicians, you know, it's like you can, you can, you know, you can cut an album and put it up for people to, you know, and YouTubers and content creators and artists, you know, you know there there's uh there's just so much out there and it's so um th- there's never been a better time to be able to just create and just get your stuff out there because like a lot of the old gatekeeping models are kind of falling away yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's it's pretty amazing like and i i'm one of my favorite things to listen to is is podcasts is the idea of this amazing free medium of entertainment mm-hmm. that long form you don't really have to deal with commercials you know you can make it as long or as short as you want it's it's fantastic i think like that's one of the, the best new inventions is these, this notion that you can just you can take in information in a long form basis i really it's fantastic 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I may be biased, but I think it's pretty cool. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that being said, we we were touching on this uh, a little bit a moment ago. Uh, but any further advice that you might have uh, for folks that are maybe starting out, uh, starting out, or maybe reluctant to uh, pursue their own creative endeavors? Yeah, I would say just just go for it. I mean, um, I think if you decide not to, and you're like, oh, no one's gonna like this story or this drawing, it's like you'll never know what you left out there. You know, mm-hmm. like. Just take a chance and see, like, see what people think of it. See an audience. I mean, it's it's easier than ever now to find. I think hopefully, you know, find a, a a community of people online too. Like, you know, the internet it can be bad, but it can also be really good for sort of like support groups and kind of like you know yeah. finding people with similar interests because it's like like how a lot of us grew up is like you literally knew the people that you lived in the same town with in person, <laughs> right. and that was about it. Now it's like be friends with someone from like Bulgaria and <laughs> talk every day online. It's amazing. It's really cool. So yeah, I think that that's definitely my advice is kind of embrace what technology will, will allow you to do now. Very cool. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about uh, Constructicons Rising, uh, Transformers Galaxies, um, as well as the Kill Lock. Um, how can folks uh, find those things on the Internet? And how can we connect with you on the social medias? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Levi Remindelli, just my, my full name. Um, the Kill Lock can be pre-ordered at your local comic store. I think tonight, I think this is the last week for pre-orders of issue one, and you can buy it off Comicsology on IDW. It'll be it'll be everywhere soon. But yeah, six issues monthly. The first one comes out in later December. Very cool. And before we part ways for now, um, anybody in particular you'd like to give shout outs to or any particular acknowledgements that we haven't mentioned along the way and any parting thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, I would you say like maybe just another thank you to all my my fellow Transformers creators who are contributing to the Killock, who've done some amazing pinup art. I'm really thankful to know these people and have their their work featured. Um, yeah, and then just thank you for having me so much on the show. It's really been a blast to talk to you. Very cool. Now I know that you're off to Tokyo Comic Con, um, but how's yeah. the how's the rest of the con season going for you? Do you have more shows that you'll be appearing at later in the year? I have two more. You will see it. Yeah. So it's, uh, I go all the way to Tokyo. I fly all the way back to the U S for about a week. And then I fly all the way back to Singapore for Singapore comic-con. Oh my and, gosh. And yeah. Then I will be, then I will be done for the year. So that's the final <laughs> two. All right. Well, I will leave you to it so you can uh, get back to your packing and I right, wish you, you safe travels. Thank you very much. We will see you around the way. Okay, thank you so much. Really great to talk to you. That's Livio Ramadelli. Again, you can meet him at Singapore Comic-Con this weekend, December 7th and 8th. The first issue of The Kill Lock ships in late December with issue two available early January with the other issues to follow in the coming months. But tell your local comic shop you want to order your copy now so that you don't miss out. Likewise, the first three issues of Transformers Galaxies Constructicons Rising are available now. Issue number four is in stores on January 22nd from IDW Comics. And uh, now there's a there's another Transformers project available right now uh, that you can't get 
from IDW. Uh, just in time for the holidays, it's the Transformers Reanimated Christmas Carol. Uh, check out TransformersReanimated.com to read the script for issue number five of the fan fiction project that bridges the gap between the end of the second season of the original cartoon and the 1986 movie. Uh, written by good friends of the show Yoshi from the Transmissions podcast and Greg from the Unfunny Nerd Tangent podcast, a Transformers Christmas Carol features Cover art from veteran Transformers and Marvel UK artist Lee Sullivan. Uh, that is available right now for free to download at TransformersReanimated.com. Now, hopefully, I don't get in too much trouble uh, here for sharing this, uh, but I am super excited, super stoked to announce that I will be a part of the next Transformers Reanimated script reading podcast with Yoshi and Greg. We'll be acting out a Transformers Christmas Carol, uh, again, issue number five of Transformers Reanimated. But we'll also be joined by Aaron, Ryan, and Caleb. The Autopod Decepticast will be featured players during uh, issue number five as well. Now, as you might recall, we uh, we uh, the same group got together a couple months ago and recorded uh, the script for issue number two of Transformers Reanimated Autobots Under Arrest. It was a ton of fun. We happened to record on my birthday, just uh, coincidentally, uh, but it was just the five. Five of us. It was uh, uh, Yoshi and Greg uh, and Aaron and Ryan and myself, but not Caleb. So it's so it's uh, exciting that Caleb will be joining us as well. And there will be six of us, which means there's going to be six individual audio tracks. And I do not envy uh, Yoshi his upcoming editing, but I think it is going to be really really fun. I've already read the script, um, and it's uh, it's awesome. It's going to be a lot of lot of great fun so again check that out at transformers reanimated.com uh, but wait there's more um i will also uh, be playing a small part in this year's upcoming autopod decepticast christmas special i cannot tell you anything about it because I'm afraid if I start dropping hints, I will spoil it accidentally. So I have sworn myself to secrecy. The only thing that I can say is that the APDC fangirl in me is crawling out of my skin with excitement. Because even now, still, my all-time favorite episode of Autopod Decepticast, you know, um, aside from the episodes that I'm in, um, is that first Christmas episode. It's still cracks me up so um again i can't tell you anything about it uh but it is it is going to be a lot of fun anyhow uh look for both of those projects right around the, the christmas holiday and that will do it for this week's episode thank you so much for listening and if you want to listen to our past shows subscribe on soundcloud apple podcast stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast like share rate and review the show five stars please um, and uh, feel free and drop a review. The feedback always helps as well. Mike Seibert Radio is produced by Dave Sanders. For my guest, Livio Ramadelli, my name is Mike. This has been Mike Seibert Radio. And until next time, make good choices. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeCybertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. 
Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production. No more! Empty!